Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Q. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach. And, wait. <laughs> did you say Black? Q? I did say Black. Q. Because uh, this, is, this is all about Q. That's right, we've become a conspiracy theory podcast. Stop. And we're going to talk about the secret underground cabal of uh satan worshiping baby eaters is that that is not that, the that Q the we're talking about no we're talking about the Q from star trek the next generation uh you know the alien who was in the pilot you know what i'm you talking see, about I you're thought, a big star I trek we, fan <laughs> i thought we were talking about the Q, like the uh like the white ball that you hit when you're playing uh pool or snooker <laughs> No, we're we're just talking about cues, like lines that you wait in to go on rides and stuff like that. Or to vote. see, I thought we were I thought we were talking about cues, like uh, your signal to start, uh, say, some sort of event or a play or a line in a in a production. I'm pretty sure we're talking about cues, like you know how we abbreviate questions. So the whole thing will be cues, but no A's. Okay, you win. You got me. You got me. You got me. No, we're talking about uh, Quintavious Quintarius Choir. Or, I'm sorry. We're talking about Quintavious Quintarina. How do you pronounce the middle one? Isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, it's Quintavious Quirinius Quentin Choir. Okay. We're, that's right. We're talking about Quintavious Quirinius Choir. Uh, short for Quentin, uh, if you really want to. Uh, it's uh, Kid Omega. Yeah. Kid Omega, and uh, this was requested by who, Zach? Uh, this was requested by Patreon supporter Zachary Hunter, uh, who hmm. is not me in camo, I assume. <laughs> Unless, much Unless? like the seminal, much like the seminal Grant Morrison Doom Patrol story, Beard Hunter, this is this is someone. Who is hunting me specifically? In which case, <laughs> weird to give me money first. <laughs> this is the first step in the master plan. Um, well, I am really excited uh, about this episode because we are going to talk about a series that I think we've been pretty much on the opposite sides of the spectrum on uh, for every time we talk about it. And uh, we're finally getting to talk about the first couple issues of Jason Aaron uh, and Chris uh, Bachalo's Wolverine and the X-Men, numbers one, that's, two, and three. That's right. Spinning out of the Regenesis event, it's Wolverine and the X-Men. Now, I'll tell you, Adam, as mm. I, I I think we've had this conversation in the past when we talked about uh, Kieran Gillen's Uncanny X-Men from the Regenesis yes. era. Mm-hmm. But I had I I found out over the internet that they were relaunching the X-Men books, and there were going to be two number ones, one about Cyclops' team and one about Wolverine's team. And I looked at the teams, and I said, okay, one of this has Storm and Cyclops and Colossus and Magneto, and the other one has Wolverine and... Uh, I mean, Kitty's pretty cool. Beast is fine. <laughs> and I went with... 
I went with the Gillen one, and I don't regret it. I do regret the Greg Landart that uh, plagued that run that we've not really had to talk about, which is great. Uh, but what I didn't know is that Wolverine and the X-Men would have been drawn by my favorite artist. Uh, well, yeah, and that's where I was, you know, looking uh, to catch up a little bit, to because I jumped on in the Bendis era. I jumped back mm-hmm. on him with the Bendis era and was looking to fill in from Schism forward, and I was like, oh, Chris is drawing this. Uh, this is the series that I want to read. Now, I didn't realize he didn't draw much more than the first three issues. Um, you know, he then draw, the amazing he draws stuff. He draws stuff during the uh, uh, AVX arc. Yes. Uh, he, com- he comes back for, I think, yeah, eight through ten, I think he does. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a couple others. Yeah, he does. A, I think he does at least one other arc. But uh, the amazing Nick Brad, Bradshaw is um, the the main series artist, at least for the beginning of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I know that you and I have never seen eye to eye on this book, and I have learned uh, over the years that people actively dislike this book quite a bit. Whereas yeah, that I makes sense. Always uh, kind of got a kick out of it. However rereading the first three issues uh for t- for tonight uh for this episode i do understand why this may great on people so what where do you want to start should we just give a quick summary of what's happening here sure sure so after the events of schism which if you want to know what happened in schism go back to our episode about schism it was all about schism we just did all of schism yep um wolverine has restarted the xavier institute uh as the new gene gray school uh, and is training the next generation of children to just be students and mutants and stuff. His plan's not very clear. What he knows is that that's what Xavier did, so he wants to do it. Should Wolverine be a school teacher? Probably not, which is a fun pitch for this. Uh, the first arc is about, not the first day of school, but the day that the accreditation board is coming by, uh, not the accreditation board, excuse me, the New York State uh, Board of Education is coming by to ensure that everything is up to spec. Uh, and it goes incredibly poorly. Uh, <laughs> right. In that things get, de- one, things get derailed because Wolverine's bad at running a school. And then also things get derailed because the new Hellfire Club from Schism is here. And they send all sorts of chaos that causes the X-Men to have to defend their school and causes Quentin Quire to have to try a little bit. Not a ton, but a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think you just summed it up pretty nicely. I, I think last episode we talked about Hickman wanting, uh, who enjoying playing with the toys in the toy box. Uh, one of the things that I've always, like, uh, one of the things I appreciated about Wolverine and the X-Men is that Jason Aaron really just wants to play with the toys in the toy box. Um, even if it doesn't really make story sense or continuity sense, he is excited about saying, okay, well, this thing I liked from the past is back, even if it doesn't make any sense. So the amount of things that we get in these three issues, um, we get a, a Krakoa, we get a Sauron, we get a Wendigo, we get Frankensteins. Um, hey, does it, it bother, <laughs> does it bother anyone else as much as it bothers me that there's Wendigos or a Wendigo in this when Wendigos, you know, or what happened when you eat somebody in Canada specifically? 
That's what a Wendigo is. When <laughs> a human eats another human in Canada, that's how you get Wendigos. And, and when Jake they come, Aaron pulls this again in the Hellfire uh, yes. saga. Arc. And when they I cross, don't like it. When they cross over the uh, border, they're supposed to go back to people, right? Um, I <laughs> don't know enough about Wendigos to argue that. I know that's what World War Wendigo posits. Yes, yes. Now I. Uh, I was saying how much I enjoyed this uh, the first time through. It is a madcap romp. Um, it is nonstop. The, the The premise of the first couple issues, as Zach mentioned, is this uh, this inspection. So especially the first issue is just straight up a tour of the school. We're starting to learn which X-Men are teaching which classes. And we're solidifying what the premise of this book is supposed to be. Um, we're also solidifying that I guess the main ongoing baddies are going to be these kids from schism. Um, now I think when we talked about schism, we both agreed that these kids kind of suck. Um, yeah, we're talking about Cade Kilgore, uh, Manuel Enrique, Maximilian Vaughn, Katzelenbogen, and Wilhelmina Kensington, uh, the Kitty Hellfire Club. They yes. are all under 12. Mm-hmm. They are all sociopaths. They have all done incredible amounts of murders. And the most, this is not in this story, but the most bizarre choice I think that I have seen in comics in a while is uh, happening regarding these kids in Marauders. We're spoiler alert for the latest issue. Jerry Duggan really tries to humanize Wilhelmina. And give her a reason for her trauma, but she is such a cartoonish character that it comes off as just incredibly like tone deaf and weird and bad. Uh, and we there, there was a lot of talk about that in our coverage of that that uh, the great Andrea Ayers did with Ian Gregory. So go check that out if you get a chance on Comics XF. Uh, yeah, I think one of I the hate things these, I hate these children. <laughs> they are. You mentioned the word cartoon. And I think that that is a huge part of whether you're going to enjoy this or whether you're going to hate it, because it is very much uh, sort of, you know, bonkers, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what's going to stick kind of scenario. Um, X-Men supposedly has been in the past a story about, you know, Xavier educating mutants of tomorrow. They, the, the book has actually never really been about that. So this you remember is... remember how the X-Men graduated in issue seven? Exactly. And then Stan and Jack said, maybe, maybe let's not really do the school thing anymore. Exactly. So the idea that this is sort of a return to roots is not, is not a, like a, a real thing. Um, this is kind of a newish idea for how to do it. It's, remember, it's probably... remember when Chris Claremont relaunched the X-Men and he had Xavier come back and try and give Wolverine demerits? Yes. And everyone just looked at him and said, but no. what are you doing? We don't do that anymore. Um, We're adults. But it, I do think that uh, if you're trying to just establish what this series is supposed to be about, um, whether you like it or not, I think that it does a really good job of it because we understand that this is going to be uh, silly. It is going to be uh, lots of wacky things happening all the time. I, and we're going to be trying some new things. We've got Banff's uh, crawling all over the campus, stealing whiskey. We've got Iceman who is now able to create duplicates of himself. Okay. Um, can we talk about that scene for one second? Yeah, sure. Cause it's the big center point of the second issue. And 
it's Wolverine telling Bobby that, hey, I brought you to the school first for a reason. Uh, live up to your potential, kid. And he goes on this big speech about how, you know, a man of untapped potential, don't you dare ever call me that again. Which is super unearned because he doesn't do anything to realize his potential. He just kind of flips on a switch and says, I have new powers now. He also kisses Kitty, which is really weird. Listen, listen, sometimes I'm I'm straight. You're straight. But we have a lot of we have a lot of friends in the queer community, and there's a concept that I have learned of called beards. <laughs> uh which is a fake hetero relationship uh to hide your sexuality. And I like to believe the lack of chemistry between these two and the out of nowhere kisses. Uh, are a hundred percent that I think that's the most that's the most sensical reading of this in my opinion. Yeah, I I have to agree. It's definitely compensation if it's uh, looked at in a certain way. Um, it's what it really is. Is Jason Aaron watched uh, X Men: The Last Stand and said, "Sure, they can be a relationship. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's what it is, and it sucked there too. Probably." Um, we are also getting introduced to this. I mean, I, I like this cast of kids. So, um, we've got brew, um, already establishing that, you know, he's in love with Edie. We've got Quentin, um, who I gotta, I gotta give Aaron credit before this Quentin was still kind of like a amorphous thing after Morrison's run. And what we know of as Quentin choir today was definitely established in this run. Um, oh, the, sure. the, the smart alecky quick witted, but lovable brat, I think is definitely, I can give a lot of credit to Jason Aaron for doing that with the character. Aaron absolutely um, did that. The challenge that some people have is that before this, he was a neo-fascist terrorist kid. Right. So having that spun off into, well, he's just got a bit of an attitude. I can see why that rubs people the wrong way when dudes like Quentin Quire have gotten away with way too much in the world. But also, that's the character as he is today. And we can accept that maybe there should have been a smoother path uh, to get him into where he was. But I like to think when he just lived as gas for about five years, he mellowed out. Yeah. Um, So I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening here. I agree that you know, the humor is definitely not going to be for everybody. Also in the third issue, we've got uh, multiple pages done by fill-in artists uh, that are really not good compared to Chris's like really stellar work uh, on the rest of the book. Chris is doing a great job. uh, And Duncan Ruelu and Matteo Scalera, who are, who are both totally solid artists, nothing against them. Uh, but they pretty much got filled in to make sure the book got out on time. Didn't oh, they? absolutely, absolutely. So, so they're run, they're running on a they're running on a tight schedule. I get it. Yeah, um, I think that you will know immediately if this book is for you if you read this arc. You know, if you read it and you're like me and, and say, "Oh, this looks kind of zany. I want to check this out." It's gonna it's gonna hit you the right way if you're you know looking at it and going this these these jokes are not landing for me. And this just seems a little, I think the biggest 
complaint that I've ever heard is that the the book seems um, almost in the wrong genre, you know, Here's... for for what X Men should be. See, I've heard I, that before. I... And I think those people are wrong because X-Men can be slapstick. I've read Excalibur. I know. Yeah. I've got okay. I've got no problem with a humor series. Mm-hmm. My problem is that Jason Aaron's not funny. Jason Aaron Jason Aaron has these ideas of let's throw everything together and see what happens, which is how you get Frankensteins with flamethrowers and a Krakoa and all those all this weird stuff and it's not interesting like like i'd compare it to you you know that avx arc uh of frat or not fraction of gillen's uncanny where mr sinister has what is very much a wacky random like castle in the Mm -hmm. ground yes and there's a bunch of wacky things that the x-men have to fight but all of those feel like set in ground in the setting that was already established where Jason Aaron likes to throw literally anything he can at the reader just to get a reaction. He did it with his uh, ghost rider. He's done it with this. Heck he does it with, he does it with his Avengers where he's just, let's make everything as big and as crazy as possible. And it sucks when he does it. It really does suck. Jason Aaron's good at writing, writing, or Jason Aaron's not good at writing the wacky stuff. He just does it. He writes the wacky stuff, and then he's good at writing uh, big, big, strong buff dudes who are really, really frustrated with life and <laughs> just hitting stuff hard a la his Conan, which is good, his Thor, which is good, his Weird World, which is good. The only time his wackiness has, I think, worked for me is in Doctor Strange, where... But that's a much idea- more idea of like surrealist and yes still tempered that fits with the book yes yeah um so let let's rank this on our big list because i i think we're bringing up good points and i'm very interested to see where you want to put this so we've got a lot of stories on our big old list of all the x-men stories forever of all time uh in fact we have 534 stories uh the number one story is the house of x the powers of 10 uh, number 100 is X-Force, Volume 3, 1 through 6, Angels and Demons. Uh, number 200 on our list is all-new Wolverine, Old Woman Laura. Number 300 on our list is X-Men 18, 118 through 119, The Submergence of Japan. Uh, number 400 on our list is Uncanny X-Men 414, Fall Down, Go Boom. Uh, <laughs> number 500 on our list is uh, the Marvel Superhero Special 6 through 8, where Roy Thomas was there and wrote the Australian x <laughs> uh, And then 334 is the Draco. Okay, so I'm looking at the list. At 159, we have Battle of the Atom, um, which is one of the crossovers that happens later in this run. I don't think this is as good as that. Um, I think that has, you know, more ideas and, you know, is... is Crossing over with the the Bendis era in in kind of a more interesting way. Um, below that, we have the uh, pretty much the second arc of this, which I think is more successful. Um, that's the one where uh, Kitty gets impregnated by the uh, the Brood, and Wolverine and Quentin go to the gambling planet. Um, right. 
the gambling planet's way more successful than the time Kitty got brood pregnant. I, I would agree. Um, I do think this is better than I'm looking down at like 170, which is the X-Men blue cross time caper. And I, I, I do think this is more successful than that. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like at, at 208, we have the hellfire saga from Wolverine and the X-Men, which is very long and equally kind of bad, but this does have a lot of good Chris Batchelow art. Like it's, he's my favorite for a reason. I do love it. I don't think it's his the top thing he's ever done uh but it's pretty good uh but okay so two spots above that 168 is x-force us versus them uh from size spurrier's run which i think is heads and shoulders better than this i think it's better as well um and then so in between that we have x-factor volume three number 16 no dominion I don't want to give it to Peter David, but also that story's better than this. <laughs> okay. In fact, okay, okay, I'm thinking of. All right. What are you, okay, what are let's you look at here? let's look at cross time capers. Just I... cross time capers. Need I remind you? It's got that RB Silva art. It's got that good RB Silva art. Yeah, but it's still early RB Silva, and it does not it's got compare X-Men to twenty ninety nine in it. It doesn't compare to what. I know, and yes, it has the future brotherhood in it. So yes, cool stuff happening. I do think that this is this is better, uh, and I think it's even doing you know for all the character work that we might not like with things like Bobby, I think that uh, it's doing a lot of character work of things that Hickman is even drawing on now, and and Percy is definitely uh, as we'll talk about later in this episode. So I think this is our new one seventy, Zach. Fine. But I'm doing it under protest. <laughs> Always under protest. Well, you think this is better than 168 Cable and X Force one through five? Uh, yeah, that actually that arc's not the best part of Cable Come on, and X Force. Give, give yeah, it a no. little bit of credit. It, it's... No, now I do not gotta hand it to him. We are not gonna hand it to him for this next story. So, uh, what are we talking about next? Zach? <laughs> Uh, we're talking about Wolverine and the X-Men volume two, number one through six, tomorrow never learns. Uh, this is written by noted sex creep, Jason Latour, uh, with pencils, uh, for most of it by fantastic Marvel artist, uh, Mahmoud Asar, uh, with the last issue having a weird batch of people, including David Messina, Mark Deering, Massimiliano uh, Veltri, and also Pepe Larraz is here for like three pages. <laughs> we got Pepe. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. We got but Pepe that, in the house. I forgot. That is one of the biggest whiplash moments of of the entire arc to to go from. All right, let's just actually let's just talk about the art real quick, and then we'll talk about the premise of the story. Yeah, Mahmoud let's, Az- let's start the Azrar is is off to a great start. This is one of his first big Marvel gigs. Um, this, I think he does a pretty good job. I think you... this was the first book he launched. Oh, okay. I know he was doing stuff with uh, Ultimate Comics X-Men uh, before yeah. this. Uh, but, I mean, that was that was deep into the run. Uh, so this would have been before he did all new Avengers. Uh, yeah, he had done he had done some fill-ins. Okay, no, he did a Shadow La- a Shadowland tie-in, the Power Man one, which is I oh, forgot okay. he did that. That one's kind of pretty but yeah this is this is the first like run he launched yeah yeah and, and before moving yeah he, he's doing before a great ben job just stole him. 
Yeah, I think he's doing but a pretty good like, job. But it's like, no, actually, he's good. I want him on my books now. Thank you. What's fascinating is to look at where he's come, you know, where where he's, you know, grown into this amazing artist that we see today. And the evolution is crazy. So Can I tell um, you what I think a big part of that evolution is uh, compared to uh, what we're seeing or what we saw in this issue? Because... I think because I was I was trying to figure it out because I was like I like Asar, but this is significantly like this is not at the same level as no. what he was what he's even done like very recently, uh, and I think that comes down to our colorist on this because this is colored by Israel Silva, who's not my favorite colorist as far as I could have favorite colorists, mm-hmm. uh, but on his other work like his Avengers was uh, colored by Dave McCraig. Uh, all new X Men was Marte Gracia, uh, and Marte makes everything better. Uh, uh, Eve Scarvina on X Men Red. Conan the Barbarian had uh, who'd Conan have? Uh, Matt Wilson. Matt Wilson's a pretty good colorist. I don't know if uh, you figure that out, <laughs> uh, but like, and Sonny Gao did the stuff on X Men uh, with Hickman recently. Israel Silva does nothing for Asar here. It. He's not coloring him right. I honestly think that's it. There's still some figure work and some detail stuff that Asar is going to get much tighter on as right. his career progresses. Yeah, uh, over the next like you know seven years. But I think a, I think like the fundamentals are here. Of course, yeah. No, his his um, storytelling is is fantastic, um, and his design is great. His Quentin Quire design I absolutely love with the cardigan. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, you know, it's Love it. not great though, artistically is, um, when we get to the, the final issue, these fill in artists are absolutely terrible and we get this little whiplash between going between Azrar. We even get a couple of pages of Pepe Raz in here and some of the worst published art I have seen in a, in a Marvel book in a long time. And all of that does not help a fairly incomprehensible story. So we went from Wolverine and the X-Men Volume 1, which, as we just described, is, you know, sort of a madcap book about uh, the Jean Grey school. And um, we've jumped into Volume 2 as we know that Wolverine is going to die. Why they started this book in the first place, I have no idea. Okay, it's so... Post AV, it's post-Battle of the Atom. Um, so Quentin met his future self and learned that he was supposed to, you know, be the bearer of the Phoenix and Latour decides to base this entire arc on that premise. And it's dumb to say the least. It is. Uh, so Latour. So when this book was set up, uh, my understanding from some interviews is that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to give some extrapolation. Okay. On some things. <laughs> okay. Jason Latour, uh, co-creator of Spider-Gwen, uh, said, has said on podcasts about Spider-Gwen, uh, I believe it was the Ultimate Spin podcast, which was about uh, Miles Morales and Spider-Gwen. And it was great. Actually, one of the best production values I've ever heard in some of my favorite comics interviews came from that podcast. It's not running anymore. Oh. Uh, but... If you ever get a chance, go check it out because I, I think it was a great uh, great show that was running at the time. Uh, but 
uh, they did an interview with Latour again before allegations about him came out and all that stuff. Just just to keep that clear, uh, where he said that Spider Gwen was essentially a editor apologizing to him that uh, that things got screwed up on a previous book, and I you mean this was his previous book. So I get the I get the feeling that Latour did not fully know Wolverine was going to die, and based on the fact that uh, you know. Bendis pulled Wolverine into an arc and then Wolverine wasn't at the end of the arc because he was going to die. Makes me feel like maybe not everyone knew Wolverine was going to die. I don't know. I'd have to go back and see when the press materials came out, but it, um... it was, it was after it was, it was several months into this book. Okay. Okay. You know, and, and regardless of, of what was known internally, this is just poorly written. Um, the the storyline centers around um, Quentin Quire having graduated from the Jean Grey School and being promoted to uh, a teaching assistant, which doesn't make a dang bit of sense. Hey, don't um, you have to? Don't you have to do any amount of college? <laughs> right. He like basically graduated from high school, and they, you know, put him in a in a collegiate teaching position of uh, of some merit. So. Uh, he the 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 x-men and i guess the world it seems are uh under attack from the phoenix corporation um which is a immortal dude who has figured out how to collect phoenix shards to stay immortal over time and he has an am i getting this right an ascani soldier named like peacekeeper john or something like that who is his enforcer you're talking about faithful john or that, john breaks sky yes yes thank you um and also eden eden young uh which is such a young with an e that's the guy that's the that's eden the with an a young yes. with an e yes. uh, which all of that sucks <laughs> uh and i guess the premise here is that you know, because the Phoenix Corp knows somehow that, you know, um, Quentin is destined to become the Phoenix and or fight Evan, who will one day become Apocalypse, that this is all a ploy for uh, Young to, you know, use him to continue to stay immortal or something along those lines. A lot of it is basically them fighting the... Uh, the what's the guy's name the father misty faithful 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 john faithful john thank you um there is a a kind of fun thing that involves um uh dupe it's Um, a good splash page and it's a non sequitur for the rest (laughs) of the dang series yes a brilliant thing that asar drew yeah Uh, it's absolute nonsense dupe um is i guess at the death the side of Willie Nelson who has died crashing a, a semi truck after being attacked by ninjas and Dupe rides off on a motorcycle with this tiger on the back of it. it yeah. Can it you, doesn't... can you tell that Jason Aaron and Jason Latour are friends? Uh, cause I can tell that Jason Aaron and Jason Latour are friends by the fact that Jason Latour is doing a bad Jason Aaron impersonation, but that one, that one did work. That joke did work. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of, um, eye boy puns that are, I guess, funny um that but the the whole center of the story being based around 
um, this version of Quentin that's not really interesting, um, a verdant version of uh, of Edie that's equally kind of, I don't know, it doesn't really give her a, a lot of agency. And the stuff with Phantom X that's here, because Phantom X is in the miniaturized world, but the world doesn't really look like the world we, we usually see or like. Um, and he's... Fighting monsters? I don't... It doesn't make sense. By the time you get to issue six, it becomes so convoluted and so poorly crafted that you will have absolutely no idea what is happening and or why what anybody's motivations are how the story concludes yeah you you find out that all of this was actually a ploy by the old future version of quentin choir to inspire his younger self slash get revenge on evan because evan sabanor uh that's the clone of apocalypse uh evan sabanor made id his horseman of death and then she died and quentin never got over that and it's this whole really bad thing like this is such a complex story that does not need to be you don't need eden young and uh faithful john to be different characters you don't need an entire corporation appearing out of nowhere uh you don't need to completely rehash uh like here's the thing they they like oh here's evan uh he here's phantom x his his dad friend they just do every evan sabanor story that has been told up until that point which is just uncanny x-force which is way better (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's retreading and it totally misses the tone uh that that i think people might have been expecting from this book and it's you it's terrible do you remember the part uh, where in issue one of this, uh, they introduce a new character called Nature Girl, who's Lin Lee? I do. Uh, who, who's an Asian girl with uh, horns, like she's in a Fallout Boy video. Yep. And she doesn't talk at all. And then Christina Strain, a uh, friend of the show, uh, gets her in, the, in an early issue of Gen- her Generation X and says, yeah, did you really think just because I was a quiet Asian girl that I didn't talk that I was mute? what 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 are you like someone who likes really terrible stereotypes <laughs> and it's very good to it's see a that great because burn oh and jason aaron does or jason latour deserves to be burned more great design by mahmoud asrar uh which is why i am very happy that nature girl has appeared in other places where she's mm-hmm. good and given you know a personality yes yes there's some weird stuff with armor that happens in this too where she gets removed from her armor yeah, that makes no sense. And it never happens again. I don't think anybody really pays attention to this book because it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's it's terrible and enjoy un, unenjoyable. Um, Do you remember the part in this book where there's a reference to uh astonishing Wolverine and Spider Man? Yes. Uh yeah. But but unless you are intimately familiar with that book, you'll have no idea why there's a random inset panel of Wolverine holding a gun with the Phoenix logo on it. Uh, again overly complicated for no reason rehashing phoenix stuff is like a big pet peeve of mine and it's like i said by the time you get to the end of it it's nigh incomprehensible so has anyone ever written a phoenix story that has referenced anything except for the dark phoenix saga 
You mean, well, are you talking about things that have happened previous to the Dark Phoenix Saga? No, just like, I feel like every Phoenix story is like, I've read the Dark Phoenix Saga, and I've read nothing else involving Phoenix. Well, yeah. Yeah, well, and everybody just sort of tries to to play around with it, and it never really works well. Hey, can I ask you a random question that's going to explain a whole lot about this book? Yeah, go ahead. Do you know how many editors uh, were involved in the creation of this? How many uh, how many different bespoke editors? Well, it looks like Tom Brennan does one through three. Oh, it changes. Uh, yeah, Janine Schaefer picks up at four mm-hmm. uh, and five, and then Katie Kubert picks up from Janine Schaefer at six. My God! By seven, Mike Martz is back. Well, the unfocused definitely shows, and uh, I think we're going to rank this pretty low. It's uh, bad. So let's take a look. I'm looking down at... Oh, man, I'm I'm already into the 400s here. I mean, um, it's worse than Fall Down, Go Boom. Oh, yeah, no, that's... No, this is, this is worse than that. Uh, 485, Onslaught, better or worse? I never like it when I get to say that Onslaught's better. Because that just... <laughs> Onslaught's better than this. Phoenix Warsong and Phoenix Endsong are bad. But I was thinking about... I was thinking about Phoenix Warsong today. Yeah. Just like a few hours ago, out of nowhere, I was like, man, you remember the million and one from Phoenix Warsong? That's <laughs> neat. I've never thought about Eden Young or Faithful John or the Phoenix Corporation. No, you never would because they're terrible. Um, I think we're on a similar level of like cognitive dissonance as the Shatterstar Saga at 504. Like this is a similar feeling of yeah. getting to the last issue and going, wait, what? I what? mean, you're right. <laughs> um so it's, that's it. This is better than 512 Dazzler the movie. I'm, okay. I'm, I feel good about saying that. This is better than Dazzler the movie. All right. Um, I don't think. Is it better think... or worse than Axis? I, I think it's worse than Axis. And I hate Axis. You do hate Axis. I, I don't know. I'm, I feel like somewhere along the line, like at least something happened in Axis where I was like, oh, that was kind of cool. Like maybe some We're of the. Talking yeah, Magneto like the club, stuff. like like the Hulk's Hulk. Yeah, some something happened that I was like, okay, well that's more. No, clever. you actively hated the Magneto stuff in Axis. I can tell you that. Oh, okay. That was uh, that was the one where Rick Remender was like, you should feel bad about killing the Red oh, Skull, right. who's actively doing a concentration camp. Magneto yeah, that stuff was stupid. Um, okay, Axis is bad too. Mm. I and and Eve of Destruction, as we always point out, has the one Wolverine and X and Wolverine and Cyclops sewer issue. So that I, was pretty good. I think this is a step below Evil of Destruction and a step above the X Men animation special. <laughs> well, hey, any amount of Mahmadasara art is better than Grainy Stills from a VHS. Uh, yeah, I would agree. Maybe if you don't read any of the words, you can get something out of it. But honestly, if if you want, if you want Asara art, just literally look at anything else he's done it all rules <laughs> great artist look at look if you if you want some sorrow just look at that page from all new x-men 40 
where it's just the two panels of Jean Grey and Iceman. And it's like, Bobby, you're gay. And he's like, what? That's good, Asarat. Asarat, he's he's fantastic. And he only keeps getting better. What's uh, he doing right now? Now that he's off X-Men, has he been announced for anything? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen anything. So we'll, we'll have to... Do you want to look it up? Are you looking it up? I am looking it up He's right looking now. it I up. What, the power up of to. the internet. Okay, his Wikipedia entry just popped up, and it says, Mahmoud Asar is a Turkish comic book artist who's known for his work on American and non-American comics. His American work includes pinups for Savage Dragon 124 and Invincible 20. Um, no, I don't think that's what his American comics work that's, is known for that's the first thing that comes up we need to edit that <laughs> good god my minus are he's known for being freaking good uh, uh yeah. no uh he's done he he has some covers like he's been doing the covers for excalibur i'm i'm 100 percent sure they they he's got something in the pipeline it just hasn't come through yet i'm sure it's I'm just sure. timing right giving now. him some lead time to get something done you know who else is incredible and only keeps getting better is Art. Joshua Kassara. I I get the privilege of having two different Joshua Kassara pieces uh, in my in my office. Adam, you can see them right here. Behind yep. me is, of course, my beautiful, beautiful maggot uh, mm-hmm. at the Tiki Bar yep. uh, that I got from... You remember when Twitter was an auction platform for a while <laughs> last summer during the pandemic? Yes, yes I do. What's the other one that you, you have a blob too, right? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a uh, uh, Fred Kasara Kasara was playing Scrabble with his wife. Oh right, he, he draws bored, while he plays Scrabble, and he he drew a blob, and it's a great blob because I I love I love Fred Dukes uh, specifically because of Leah Williams and no other reason. Uh, but there there is Fred making a drink while him and his wife's Scrabble score is next to him. I want to make I want to make one important point about this piece of art. His wife did win Scrabble by forty points. <laughs> well, you'd win too if you were, I mean, lose too if you were doing a drawing the whole time. That was probably more interesting than the game. Um, so we're talking drawing. about. I can't talk about the Scrabble board. <laughs> I I don't know. We are talking about the most recent volume of X Force, which is Volume Six, uh, written by Ben Percy. And uh, at least the beginning of this story, 17 to 19, uh, is drawn by Josh Cassara. And yeah, then Sarah does uh, 17, and Gary Brown does 18 and 19. Right. Um, two, I would say, diminishing effect. 18 looks okay. 19 starts to get a little sketchy. And, you know, I, I do feel for the fill-in artists that have to come in on these books, because... When the art is is riding on such like a high level, especially with what Kasara and Guru Effects have been doing, at least Gary Brown has Guru Effects doing like the the high level coloring that that has been going on there. Um, hey, but... is it wild? Like I was super disappointed when Dean White launched this book and then Guru Effects jumped in because I I guess I associate uh, Guru Effects with I associate them with Greg Land. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and but the, but they're they're killing it here. The painterly quality of the colors is just out of this world. Um, the level of detail it's absolutely amazing. So, um, this picks up with the trope that has been going since the very beginning of Percy's run here that Quentin is the Kenny 
of uh, X-Force and continually dies and gets resurrected every mission. Um, we start this this first issue with, like, I think 12 or 13 different Quentin Quire deaths, each more gruesome than the next. It's um, a lot. Yes. And beautifully, beautifully drawn carnage. Oh, yeah. The body horror and the, the sort of ecological, like... Just stuff growing everywhere, especially with like the way Kassar does Black Tom. It's so cool. He he's just excelling at that. Um, I love it. Uh, Quentin's also in uh, a relationship. Um, he's dating. It's is it Phoebe? It's Phoebe. It's Phoebe Cuckoo. Okay. Not um, Esme. Not Esme. Who's uh, Esme? Esme and the other four cuckoos are, or the other three cuckoos are dating Cable. Phoebe may also be dating Cable, but she's then also also dating uh, Quentin. I like <laughs> right. to think that like that Cable went on a date with all the cuckoos, and Esme was the only one who was like, "Okay, mm, stick around." I also think it's because <laughs> Esme's the only one that has a different costume. Possibly, yeah, yeah. So um, the idea here is that she wants Quentin to kind of like become himself like you know be a new version of yourself let's grow up a little bit you know um and quentin's quentin's down for this but he's also being haunted by this telepathic presence that is attacking not just him but uh other members uh, other other citizens of krakoa and elsewhere um which turns out to basically be a xeno that xeno stole one of uh quentin's bodies and essentially using it as a weapon. Yeah, you remember you remember right before Ten of Swords when there was the Cerebro Sword, and we assumed that that when the book was doing a lot to introduce the Cerebro Sword, that the Cerebro Sword would be one of the Ten Swords and Ten of Swords, and then it wasn't. That was it shocking. Was just, it was an eleventh separate sword. I'm sorry, a twenty first separate sword. Because <laughs> yes. there, were, there were, the 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 secret about Ten of Swords is that there are actually twenty swords. Wait, didn't, uh, didn't, oh, who had two swords? Didn't Gorgon have two swords? Gorgon had two swords. Gorgon had, uh, Grass Cutter and, uh, I forget what his other one was because it's not in Asagi Yojimbo. Okay. Okay. It, but it's it was still... the swords that Hickman gave him in Secret Warriors. Everyone <laughs> forgets, everyone's like, oh yeah, Gorgon's so cool. Guys, go read Hickman's Secret Warriors where Gorgon stabs a kid to death. Oh man, uh, so Quentin gets a makeover. Um, the kid's a god, by the way. He goes to see his father in the Elysian Fields. It's it's a great moment. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant- Gorgon was just murdering him, though. He didn't know that. <laughs> it just worked out well for Phobos. Spoilers for an old comic. Well, that's kind of what we do around here. Um, this is a new comic. This came out. This came out like two months ago. Yeah, this is this is really new. Um, we get a little bit about Quentin's backstory as like a kid and kind of his telepathic repression of it, which is kind of interesting. You were talking about what what Percy's doing with or, or what Jerry is doing with uh, with Wilhelmina, and it's it's not dissimilar. Like this this idea of yeah, sort childhood of, trauma, right? Sure. Like t- telepathic repression of of trauma. It, it, it's interesting. Um, here's the here's the difference between this and what's happening in Marauders is that Quentin Quire is a real character 
and not a joke. Right. Because Wilhelmina is a cartoon character who kills, loves to murder animals. Yeah. (laughs) Introduced as in Wolverine and the X Men as, hey, can we wrap this up? I it's it's taking mallets to penguin time. She bought a zoo so she could hit penguins with a hammer. (laughs) Right. And she's ten, so she's not a real character. Quentin Quire, proto-fascist terrorist, but he's growing up a little bit. Yes, he is. And even Gene notices this because uh, they, unfortunately, Beast has been pretty much taken out of commission to the point that Sage has to kill him. Um, Would we all be so lucky? (laughs) Obviously, he's going to be resurrected. Um but this is a standing agreement that Sage and Beast have, which is kind of an interesting revelation. I just got it. That's why on the cover of uh, X-Force 20, the Ten of Swords issue, Beast has such a large bulge because he got resurrected. Oh my uh, and he just had that added to him. Stop it. That's, no, no, that's relevant because that's text of one of Quentin Quire's requests in number 17. Yes. That his, uh, his asking for request. some... Asking for some improvements. so He, he wanted I, some more trouser salami. Yeah, by the time we get to uh, the, the last issue here, the art really starts to just, you know, break down a little bit. I, I don't know if it's for time or, or what, but um, it, it gets a, a sketchy to a point where it, it just doesn't seem as high quality as, as what was in the issue before it, and especially not up to, to Kassara's. Um, well level and it's trying to do this sort of like psychic um i don't know how do you want to describe it it's it's like i would i would say that the book starts to get very conceptual at that point sure kasara and percy have done that successfully Mm -hmm. a lot uh so i think percy's knows what he's doing but because it's getting experimental in the storytelling because it's getting very conceptual Having clear art is incredibly key to making sure that that story can be well told. And unfortunately, Gary Brown's art here is not incredibly clear, uh, especially in 19. Don't know the situation, but it's it's noticeably of a poor quality. Uh, Yeah, and it's not everywhere. Some of the pages look better than others. Um, But, you know, this whole idea that he is going to sort of psychically go to where the bodies were and you know i and i guess kill the the evil quentin it's just a little it's messy enough that it's kind of actually hard to understand what's happening you know yes right like what's physical what's psychic what's you know like what's actually happening and it it just gets a little messy isn't the book isn't clear i think this the storyline in general works quentin has to grow up and the metaphor is made real to become an adult. He has to kill the child. He has to he has to literally get rid of the worst aspects of himself. Mm-hmm. Manifest in this psychic clone that Zeno, uh, an organization we know nothing about, has made. Uh, and I understand conceptually what's going on here. And I think it I think from a plot standpoint, it works, but from a total story execution standpoint, it really, it really drops the ball by the end. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I think it's it's missing a, a pretty cool opportunity to, you just said we don't know anything about Zeno. Zeno was presented at the beginning of this book as sort of being the major foil and uh, really don't know what's happening with them. You know, like, why did they do this? What is the larger point or what is the larger agenda? And I'm sure we're going to get more of that. Um, you know, we seem to have been promised some Mikhail stuff coming up. Um I'm well, just we have guessing. to get, we have to get past the stuff with manslaughter first, uh, <laughs> right. which that sounds right. like a joke. I'm very excited for the return of Weapon X Project Man. I'm sorry, not Weapon X, Weapon Four, Weapon IV Project right. Manslaughter, <laughs> uh, which are weaponized man things. Yeah, he's uh, already back. I love manslaughter uh, so much. They have to fight Doctor Bloodroot, which is such oh a dumb name. God. It's great. Uh, I, all right. I, we were talking. We were talking. I really do like X Force and to a lesser extent, a Bed Percy's Wolverine. When the main artists are on the book, when Kassara mm. and uh, Adam Kubert are on those books, I think they kind of rule. I think any other time, uh, it's dropping the ball. Absolutely, it's it makes it much more difficult uh, with the storytelling. So. All right, let's rank this. Um, I think this is kind of middling. It's, it's. I think it, the story concept is interesting, but it, it, it just falls apart. Um, um so it, we we ranked a lot of Hickman X Men stories uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lowest ranked of that is Giant Size X Men uh, at one thirteen. This is worse than that. Oh, I'm I'm looking much lower on the list. Um, you know, at two nineteen is Dead Man Logan, and Dead Man Logan is better. Absolutely. Um, as I look down into the two hundreds, I, I think a lot of this stuff is better than this particular arc. Because I agree, I'm really enjoying X Force as a book, and I I love to see what Kasara is doing on a monthly basis. But you know, this one just it 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 doesn't it's not up to snuff with with the rest of where this book has been going. So. I see you highlighted 276 here. 276 is Astonishing X-Men 13 through 17 until our hearts stop, uh, which is the Matthew Rosenberg, Greg Land, Astonishing X-Men. Hmm. Probably, yeah, I think, I think you're the in the right, right spot. Yeah, I think you're in the right part of the list. Like, I don't think this is as good as like a 266 Wolverine Noir. Um Okay, so I'm gonna if that's if that's your point, I'm not gonna disagree with you. Yeah. Uh, but it's not better than X-Men the Exterminated because this doesn't have Cable and Hope having parent feelings. Yeah, I I also think it's probably better than 269, which is uh, the first appearance of Karma, Marvel Team Up 100. Yeah, uh, it's better and... than that. Probably better than that Lovelorn arc of Uncanny where Yeah, I would, I would agree. Did you say better or worse than Wolverine Noir? Uh, I said it. I said it was worse. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, so let's put it under a... that and above Lovelorn at two sixty-seven. That's a good spot for it. Um, this is our yeah. worst ranked story of the of the newest generation of X Men comics. Uh, and frankly, like this is not in the the this is not in the bad X Men comics part of this list. No, not at all. And I, I would be fascinated to, you know, see what 
this arc would have been like if Kasara was on all three issues. I probably would have ranked it much higher. But it there is that sort of visual comprehension thing that just just doesn't add up in that especially in that last issue so kind of falls apart but we did get to see three very different versions of quentin choir today we did and that's all thanks to patreon supporter zachary hunter if you want to be like zachary you can go over to patreon.com slash comicsxf reach deep into your hearts and in your pocketbooks and uh, toss, a, toss a couple coins in our coffers and uh, support the really cool stuff that the team's doing over there. Uh, there's a, by the time this goes up, there will be a incredible, incredible piece about Superman and Jewish identity that uh, Zachary Ravaroff, another Zach uh, around here, uh, wrote that I have in front of me to edit and... Even before I gave him some notes to expand a few things, uh, I I had told Zach that this may be the best thing that's ever been posted on the website. So I'm so excited for that to come out. Uh, and we've got we got some other really cool and fun and exciting things going on over in our neck of the woods. And if you want to support those writers, help them get that money. Uh, we need money to give them. So uh, the Patreon goes directly to them, and we absolutely love doing that. Uh, or you can follow the the site on Twitter, at ComicsXF. Mm-hmm. Adam, what's up? Guys, you can always follow me on uh, Twitter at Arthur Stacy, And uh, I mentioned it last week, but uh, I will be recording the part three of uh, uh, Chris's on Infinite Earth's coverage of Executioner's song next week. Um, So make sure you tune in for part two. I'm not sure when that's coming out soon. Um, And then tune in for part three because yours truly is going to be there. Part two will already be out after you listen to this. And then part three will be two weeks after that. Uh, So in about two episodes... Yeah, but the first it. episode was already delightful. So if you if you haven't uh, checked that out, make sure you listen. Um, love our friends, the Chris's. Love our friends over at WMQ and A. Yeah. Uh, oh, shout a, out uh, to uh, shout out to Jason Large who redid the landing page uh, for uh, the podcasts for Comics XF. Thank you, Jason. And uh, what do we got going on next week, Zach? Uh, next week we're talking about X Men comics between two hundred and. Uh, to Ted that John Romita drew that we didn't cover yet. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been Val the Atom, and we hope you survived the experience. Get it!